Acts, the book of Acts, and uh, chapter 4, where we're going to begin our study tonight. Acts chapter 4, and right at the end of that chapter. chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 36 to 37 as our starting point tonight. And Joseph, which is another way of saying the name Joseph, um, that's a, a Greek way of saying the name Joseph, and Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, please keep your Bibles open there. I read a very inspiring story recently about a young man in America who was the National Football League, the NFL's most valuable player. His name was Peyton Manning. But what the article was about was not actually about his football skill, but about his kindness. Because you see, this player, ever since he became uh, a National League player, he had a habit. Every year, every season, when older players were retiring, he would write them a letter congratulating them on their career, wishing them well for the future. And many of those players who received that as they were retiring out of the game said how gracious they found that to be, how encouraging and how much they appreciated that from such a young star. And really that was a remarkable thing for him to do because he had no vested interest uh, in doing that because they weren't going to be competing against him or anything like that. He was just wanting to send them a note of encouragement as they finished their career in sport. I was quite touched by that and I thought what a great thing that is. Uh, I heard about a young boy who was trying to learn piano but when he went to see piano teachers they all discouraged him. They said you're too short, your your feet, sorry Mary, you're too short, your your feet don't touch the pedals, Uh, your, your fingers are too chubby and fat to be a good pianist, you won't be any good and so the young lad tried taking up the clarinet Uh, instead, uh, or the cornet I should say, instead. He was no good at that, so he tried to go back to the piano and face more discouragement. But one day he had the chance to meet a very famous pianist by the name of Anton Rubenstein. And Anton Rubenstein said to the young boy, keep going son, don't give up, you can do it, you could become a good pianist. And you know, those words of encouragement so inspired this young man. He did keep going and he also became a very famous pianist in his day. The name Jan Paderewski, also a a great champion of independence for Poland. What a lot encouragement 
can do, eh friends? You know, somebody has said encouragement is like water to a thirsty plant. It just gives it a revival and makes it stand up. It is like a push to a child sitting on a swing trying to make it go himself. Just gives them a little bit of extra behind them to help them. And it's interesting, we read uh, that earlier on that passage in John chapter 4 uh, about the Lord Jesus saying that when he went back to heaven he would send the Holy Spirit, another helper, another comforter. The Greek word there is the word parakletos and that's where we get our word encouragement from. You say, John, that really blesses me, that word parakletos. What does it mean? Well, it means one who comes alongside. Uh, and I have to tell this story, I'm just so fond of it, because when I was growing up in Reading, there was an old man who was a, a preacher, he used to preach in some of the churches uh, that I went to, and uh, he had this uh, history of Reading, and he remembered Reading when it had its trams. Anybody remember the trams? And uh, the trams were these big carriages that were pulled along by shire horses in Reading Town. And there were always two shire horses, one who was doing all the work and the other one who was walking behind on a very slack rein. And he remembers asking his father, what is that second horse for when... Uh, it, you know, when he saw these trams. And his father explained to him this, that when the tram has to go uphill, it requires a little bit more strength. And so the second horse would come alongside, slip its head under the, under the yoke, and together they would pull the tram up the hill. Well, that is what the word parakletos means. That's what the old preacher told me the word parakletos means. One who comes alongside. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the work uh, of many who have the Holy Spirit's gift of encouragement as well. And tonight I want us to have a look at one man in particular who is noted for his work and way of encouragement. The man is Barnabas. You know, there's many people who were an encouragement. Paul spoke about Titus being an encouragement to him and the others when they were at Athens waiting for Timothy to appear. God sent uh, Titus to encourage them. But Barnabas has to be the ultimate one who is an encourager in scripture. And this lovely man is spoken of all the way through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is peppered, if I can put it like that, with different references to Barnabas, which show us his acts of encouragement. He's a remarkable man. We're told about him in chapter 11, that he was a good man, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's a sure sign that he was a believer, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was full of faith. He put his trust in Christ, and he was a spirit-filled believer. Those same words, of course, were spoken about Stephen as well. We're also told in Acts chapter 13 that he was a prophet, and that was one of his ministries in the early church. And in chapter 14 and verse 14, we're told that he was an apostle. Uh, And that would be an apostle with a small a, uh, meaning he was one of the ones who was sent out by the church with the message of the gospel in the early days. And we're going to see something of that tonight. But especially what Barnabas is known about is for this beautiful title we read about here in verse 36, that he is translated son of encouragement. He is the son of of encouragement. Now in Bible terms, if you're the son of something, that means you're like it. 
The Lord Jesus said on one occasion to Simon Peter, he said, you're Simon, son of Jonah. Now, what did he mean that? Was, was Peter's father's real name Jonah? I don't think it was. I think what he's saying is, Peter, you're just like Jonah in the Old Testament. And he was, of course. Jonah ran away, didn't he? And Simon Peter ran away, sadly, briefly as well. And both men were in the storm at different times as well. And ever... Two men in the Lord Jesus band were James and John, two of the disciples. And Jesus called them Boanerges, sons of thunder. Now, why did he say that? Because they always wanted to nuke everybody who didn't want to become a Christian. <laughs> you know, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven on them? And he said, you sons of thunder. Because they were like the thunder in their behaviour. Well, Barnabas is a son of encouragement. He's like the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. He's, the, he's a, a great encourager. And he encouraged many people in the early church. And I want to have a look at this tonight. Because as he is a, a great example for us uh, of what Christ-likeness is like in this way. I think it's great for us to seek to follow his good example. What we need today is more and more people who are sons and daughters of encouragement, don't we? Someone has said your attitude is the paintbrush which you colour the world around you with. That's a, that's a thought, isn't it? Your attitude is the paintbrush which you colour the world around you with. Barnabas coloured the world with beautiful colours in his works of encouragement. So what I want us to see tonight is six ways briefly through these different verses in the book of Acts about Barnabas, about how he encouraged the early church. And the first thing I want you to see is that he encouraged the early church through his giving. And that's what we see here in the first reference in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. And we read here that he was a Levite of the country of Cyprus, Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this was a time of great need in the early church, and the church was growing, and there were many people in the church who had great needs. There was persecution against the early disciples, and people were sharing what they had to help each other out. Well, Barnabas was in a unique position. He had... A, a piece of land or a property uh, probably on the country, the island of Cyprus. We know that uh, from uh, ancient history that there was a, a strong Jewish community on Cyprus and it seems that Barnabas had some sort of connection with it, whether it was a family connection or he was actually a resident who lived there and had a second home in Jerusalem we don't know. But he sold the land that he had in, in Cyprus and he gave that money to the apostles to use to help the people in need in the church. He was a great encouragement in giving. It's a remarkable story because one of the details we're told here actually is that he was a Levite. Now, the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And they were a unique tribe because they were the priestly tribe. And you'll remember, it says in the book of Joshua, chapter 13, and I think it's verse 13, that when all the other tribes were getting their inheritance and getting their land, Levite wasn't to get, the Levi wasn't to get any land because the Lord was his inheritance. So how come this man has land? Well, 
It wasn't land in the land of Israel. It was land in the Gentile countries outside, which presumably didn't break that law. Uh, And some have suggested that it may have become his by means of marriage, that perhaps this was a land which his wife owned when he married her. But what you have here is a fascinating thing. You have a Levite in reverse. In the Old Testament, because they didn't have any land of their own, they were able to receive offerings. But here you have a Levite who has got land and he sells it and he makes that an offering. And what a huge thing that was to sell a piece of land worth a lot of money, real estate is, and uh, to give that money to the church to use. You know, God isn't against a man having money, but God doesn't want money to have the man. And here we see Barnabas a man who was not possessed by his possessions, but wanted to use them for the Lord Jesus Christ. What an example and an encouragement he was to them. And what an encouragement to us as well. You know, in the Bible, there's a a few references you ought to jot down on this matter. One is Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, uh, the writer says, but do not forget to do good And to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The Lord wants us all to be those who share what we have. I remember hearing a preacher many years ago, it stayed with me forever. And he said this, he said, giving is the only proof you have that money hasn't become a cancer in your soul. (laughs) And I thought, isn't that interesting? It's true. Giving is the only proof you have. If you're willing to give it. Uh, That's the only proof that it hasn't become a greedy cancer in your soul. Well, Barnabas didn't have that cancer. He was willing to give it. And he's an example to us in that. And uh, we should do the same. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God isn't against us having money and he he gives us things to enjoy. But when we're very rich, this is what he says in verse 18, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, you know, a lot of people say, don't they, you can't take it with you when you die. I want to tell you, that's not true, because you can send it on ahead. If you give, the Lord says it's like treasure laid up in heaven. And uh, that's what Paul says, says about laying a rich foundation uh, uh, for the future. What an encouragement. D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, Uh, in 1871 was helping out after the great fire of Chicago which left uh, many people destitute and the church that he was working with and the evangelistic work that he was working with was helping people out of poverty and a wealthy man came and gave D.L. Moody a great check of money for the work and D.L. Moody said thank you he said if ever I come to Britain I will come and see if I can find you and repay the favour the man spun round on his heel and said don't bother he said just do the favour for the first man you can find 
Dale Moody loved that because he knew then this man wasn't giving to get. You know, we have that mentality in a lot of Christian circles today. Today, if you give, you'll get something back. He was giving to give. He was wanting to be a part of God's work. And that's what Barnabas was like as well. So maybe Barnabas is an encouragement to us tonight as well, to be uh, an encouragement to others with our giving. We don't have to shout about it. We don't have to uh, make a public display about it. It can be something privately done that we can do to encourage other souls. But giving is one of the things in our power today that we have to be an encouragement to others like Barnabas. The second thing we see about Barnabas, he's an encourager not only in his giving, but also in his bringing. This is the other way around, really, isn't it? And we see this in Acts chapter 9, in verse 26 and 27. I'd love all these to be in one passage, but at least they're all in one book. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. And here we have, a little bit later, the story of the Apostle Paul when he was converted. Saul of Tarsus had uh, been persecuting the church and he had had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And after he had come to faith in the Lord Jesus, he then went back to Jerusalem where he had started. And this is what we read in verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and they didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And then it goes on and says, so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. Now, understandably, because Paul had been the great persecutor of the early church, when they heard that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, had become a Christian, they all thought to themselves, yeah, right, sure, I don't think so. (laughs) Saul of Tarsus, never. He was the great persecutor. Anybody's dead in their sins, it's him, he's deader than dead. He's the most violent, hostile uh, uh, opponent of the gospel there is. And so they didn't trust him. And they wouldn't accept him into their church because they were frightened of the consequences. They were frightened he would take them prisoners or he would even kill some of them. But Barnabas, he heard about what uh, had happened with Saul and he went and got Saul and brought him into the church. And because everybody trusted Barnabas, they were willing to accept Saul uh, with Barnabas's uh, coming in with him. What a remarkable part of Barnabas's ministry of encouragement in bringing people to church. Do you realise the Apostle Paul may have been kept out of the church forever had this never happened? He may have been kept out of that ministry. We may never have had all his letters to the New Testament. They may never have been willing to accept them had Barnabas not taken him and brought him to the apostles. What a mighty thing it was that Barnabas did in bringing someone through the doors of the church and helping them to accept him. And do you know what, dear friends, that is still a ministry of encouragement to the church today, isn't it? When we bring people to church, when we bring people in. 
You know, I mentioned D.L. Moody uh, a moment ago, the great American preacher. You know, D.L. Moody started out, it didn't start out as a great preacher preaching to hundreds and thousands and thousands. He started out as a young lad who used to hire a pew. He used to pay for a pew in those days. And he would hire a pew in a church and he said, it's going to be my goal to fill that pew with people by next Sunday. And he would get them to come in. He'd go and find tramps, he'd find all sorts, and he'd bring them in to serve. And when he filled one pew, he'd say, next week I'm going to hire two pews. And he made it his goal to bring people in. What a remarkable thing. Well, How that must have encouraged the pastor of that church. How that must have encouraged the church to see all these people being brought in. You know, Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, that great big church, every week at their prayer meeting, they would all pass round a big book, like a big registrar, like a, uh, a visitor's book, with a pen. And you, if, if you had anybody to put in there, anyone you were going to invite to church, you wrote their name in there, and then people would pray for that person during the week. You know, if we were to pass around a book like that in most of our prayer meetings today, it would come back empty, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. And I can't help thinking, dear friends, that maybe the decline of the church in the West started when we stopped bringing people to church. You know, my grandfather uh, was, uh, he takes after me. And uh, my grandfather, who's with the Lord in glory now, he was an Arthur Daly. That's the only way I can describe it. You remember Arthur Daly uh, and the old suit? He even had the jag and uh, he was a a London businessman working in the East End of London uh, and he was a lovely Christian man. But one of the things he had was he had a compassionate heart for the outsider, for for the outcast. And especially he had a work among prisoners. Uh, he would go into stalls. On one occasion, he wrote to Cliff Richard and said, how about you coming with me into the stalls and uh, singing for me? And, and Cliff went along with him and sang in the stalls when my granddad gave the gospel. It wasn't quite, you know, uh, Billy Graham and, and Cliff. It was uh, Gerald Eichen and Cliff. <laughs> but, you know, that was my grandfather. That was his work. And he, he had a little chapel in Enfield called Botany Bay Mission. It was a little tin hut. Do you? That's great. That was my granddad's church. Isn't that amazing? And do you know why it was called Botany Bay Mission? Because Botany Bay, of course, was where they used to send the prisoners to in Australia. And my granddad's mission was meet them when they come out of prison, bring them to the Lord, bring them to church. And this was the church where, because they wouldn't be accepted in a lot of churches and would feel uncomfortable. So he said, let's have a church where they can come. And he'd bring them into Botany Bay Mission. And, you know, my granddad, I remember visiting my granny and granddad once, and uh, there was a, a younger lady who was with them. I mean, she was much older than me. She's probably not even alive herself now, but uh, younger, probably by about 10 years younger than my grandparents. And uh, my granddad called her a young lady. And uh, he said, after she had been here for tea, and she went, she said, you know, that lady, she's such a blessing to me. And I said, said why? And he said, because Every single week, she brings someone new to church. Think about that. Every single week, she brings someone new to church. Or if she can't, she's at least tried. What an amazing thing. Different person, maybe they don't come back twice after hearing an Ikin preach. But uh, she was always trying. What an encouragement to the church. I want to I lay this challenge before you, brothers and sisters. What about you, encouraging the church this week? Who could you bring to church?
Invite someone for tea just before the service and bring them along. Come on, let's see if we can get the church filled again with people to come and hear the gospel. Third thing I want you to see is that Barnabas was an encouragement not only in his giving and in his bringing, but also in his inspiring. And we see this a little bit later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, verse 22 to 24. Acts chapter 11, verse 22 to 24. And uh, the story at this stage in the book of Acts is after um, news has come back to the disciples in Jerusalem of a work of God that has happened way up further north uh, out of the land of Israel, up in what we would call Syria today, in a place called Antioch. And in verse 22 it says, The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Well, this is where we see Barnabas being used in the ministry of inspiring. And this is how he encouraged others. He inspired or motivated new Christians to go on with the Lord. The story is this, that the church in Jerusalem got wind of a mighty work of God that had taken place up in the north in Antioch, which was a Gentile territory. Now, this had happened before in Acts chapter 8 with the work in Samaria, you remember? And they heard about it and they sent, it was the work that Philip was, and they sent Peter and John up there to to authenticate the work and establish it on uh, apostolic foundations of the gospel. Well, here they do the same thing, only this time they send Barnabas up. And Barnabas goes up and what he sees, it just blesses his heart to see all these people who've become Christians. And he himself is greatly encouraged with all that he sees of the grace of God. By the way, how do you see the grace of God? Do you know how you see the grace of God? You see it in the changed lives of the people. You see it in the work in the church. I've got a feeling I've lost some power, uh, not spiritually, but uh, uh, with the microphone. So uh, I don't know if that can be compensated in any way. But uh, he, he then, when he was so encouraged by what he had seen, he then, it's, it was said there, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He tried to inspire and encourage them to go on. Because the Christian life isn't just about starting with Jesus. It's about going on with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus didn't say go out and make converts. He said go out and make disciples. And a disciple is someone who follows the Lord and walks on with him. And this is what Barnabas was going to do. He was going to encourage them To go on with the Lord with purpose of heart. I love that phrase in verse 23, with purpose of heart. You know, there's another place in the Bible we read of a man who had purpose of heart. Do you know who that was? That was Daniel. Daniel in the land of Babylon when he was taken there as a prisoner. And he had set his heart with absolute purpose that he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's meat. And he took his stand to walk with the Lord in that difficult place. Well, this is what Barnabas is encouraging them to do. He's saying, don't give up, keep going on and be determined to keep going on. 
I love that story about Montgomery, the great military leader in World War II, who when he was uh, sent to an army training ground where he was to inspect some troops that were going to be drafted in, he saw one young lad on one of these uh, marches carrying a huge pack on a boiling hot day and the young lad just collapsed in a heap. And Montgomery went over to him and uh, the other sergeant majors were ready to step in with their sticks and all the rest of it, give the guy a, back, a beat on the back. And Montgomery went over, he took him under the arm and lifted up and said, well done, son, don't stop, just keep your eyes on the man in front of you and then you won't get left behind and get lost. That encouragement from such a great leader enabled that man to keep going on. Do you know what? That's what we need to be doing, isn't it? Inspiring one another to keep going on with the Lord. Encouraging each other with purpose of heart to continue with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do that tonight. If you started in the Christian life, keep going. You know, we teach the children a song. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. That's how we keep going on in our personal life. Uh, as a Christian, uh, feeding ourselves on the word of God, praying to the Lord, attending church and fellowshipping with the Lord's people. And this uh, is our daily way of going on and our weekly way. So be like that yourself and encourage others as well to go on. And when you are going on with the Lord, don't forget to send a message back to the person who started you off in the first place. You know, we've been really blessed as a family just recently. We've had a few amazing incidents. I think there was one here for Margaret just recently as well. She met someone who she taught in Sunday school. Well, last week, Heather's mum and dad went to the hospital uh, in Reading and a lady came over to them because the waiting room was quiet and she said to them, excuse me, you're Roy and Dot, aren't you? And they said, yes. She said, you won't remember me, but years ago, I used to come to your after-school club what they called the Quest Club. And she said, I just want you to know that was the most special thing in my childhood. She said it was my safe place. And from that, this girl had started coming to church as well. And she just waited for an opportunity. She'd seen their name on the registers coming in and she wanted to go and tell them. That was such an encouragement to my in-laws. I read a beautiful story about a dying soldier on a battlefield. And when he was dying, do you know what his dying wish was? He said to the chaplain, send this Sunday school teacher a letter and tell her that I'm a Christian because of what she taught me in Sunday school. The chaplain did that and the message went through to the Sunday school teacher who had just resigned from teaching Sunday school. where she was saying, what is the point? And as soon as she got that letter, she said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And she took back up her work again and carried on. It can be a great encouragement to keep going, can't it? So inspire one another to walk on with the Lord. That's an encouragement like Barnabas. Then we see he was an encouragement in his mentoring. Turn over the chapter to chapter 12 and verse 25. A little bit later on in the book of Acts, we read... The church is is continuing to grow and Paul, or Saul as he's called here, and Barnabas have been on their journey and uh, they're now returning. And it says in verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. 
And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, there's a story starting here uh, that is going to follow on through the pages of the New Testament. It's the story of John Mark. Now, who was John Mark? Well, you're still in John 12. If you just go back to verse 12, we'll find out a little bit more about him. It says, so when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And uh, this is the, the prayer meeting for Peter. Now, Mary was Barnabas's sister. And he was the uncle of Mark. And this Mark was a young man who we almost, with, oh, it's 99.9% .9 certain that he was the young man in the garden on the night the Lord was betrayed. Do you remember it says when they carried the Lord away, there was a young man who followed after the Lord and the Roman soldiers, when they saw him, they stripped him of his clothing and he ran away naked as any young boy would do, out of fear. Well, that was John Mark. And he was Barnabas's nephew. And he was a young lad who had been a witness to the things of the Lord Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. So he had a great testimony. And Barnabas and Saul took, them, took him on to encourage him in his ministry for the Lord as well. And they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, this mentoring was going to lead to, to John's spiritual growth, Mark's spiritual growth. Sadly, Mark was going to stumble along the way and run away at one point again out of fear, but later on he was going to be strengthened, and even Paul was going to say of him in his last chapter of his last letter before Paul was killed, he said, send for Mark, he, I have great benefit from him. And so uh, Mark really did come through in the end. But it was Barnabas who said, let's take him on. Let's encourage him. Let's help him advance in his service for the Lord. And, you know, mentoring is a, a part of the Christian faith that can really help younger people. When we put our hand on someone's shoulder and say, let's pray together. Let's meet together. Let's help each other on then we can help produce stronger Christians for the future and encourage the church. And don't think that's got to be something uh, so difficult and hard to do. It can be within your family. You know what John Wesley said? John Wesley said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians of England. <laughs> She mentored him and she blessed England, didn't she, with, with a mighty preacher. Well, we can do it with our own children and with others as well. Barnabas was a great encourager, helping the young people to go on. You know, so many older people today always want to complain about the younger people. What about if we mentored them instead and helped them to grow in their faith? And then, fifthly, we see Barnabas was an encouragement in evangelism. Now, you don't have to move because we're still in Acts 13 now, which is just the next verses on. And uh, here we are back in the church in Antioch, and it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, 
who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I had called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And just going into verse 4 and 5, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, uh, here we read in the church at Antioch, they were praying and fasting with a purpose. Fasting is when you deny yourself food for more intensified prayer. And the church leaders there were praying and fasting, obviously about their mission work. And Barnabas is mentioned along with a number of others as being involved in this work. Simon, who's mentioned there by the way, or Simeon, who's called Niger. Niger means dark, dark skinned. Uh, most commentators believe that Simon of Cyrene, you remember the man who carried the cross. Uh, we know he was from North Africa, uh, which is where Cyrene and Lucius of Cyrene as well is mentioned there. Some believe Lucius there is Luke, the, apost- uh, the uh, man who wrote the Gospel of Luke, although others uh, debate that. Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the, uh, the Tetrarch, is almost certainly the nobleman in John chapter 4, whose son was sick, who the Lord healed, uh, who was... Uh, a member of Herod the Tetrarch's clan, and of course Saul. So it's quite a prestigious group, and they were in prayer, and they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke in a word of prophecy, and said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And they went out to do the work of evangelism. And guess where they went first of all? They went to Cyprus, (laughs) where Barnabas was from. They went back to his home country. That takes some nerve, doesn't it? Not to go off to another country, but to go back home and tell everybody you've become a Christian and you're following the Lord Jesus. Well, that's what he did. He went back with Paul, back to his country of Cyprus, or island of Cyprus, and took John Mark with them as well. And what an encouragement they became then in the chapters that follow in their work of evangelism. And this was Paul's first missionary journey and Barnabas is helping Paul get started in this work as well. You know, dear friends, evangelism is another way in which we encourage the church. We encourage, doesn't it encourage you when you see somebody who's a faithful witness to the Lord? Perhaps you see somebody giving out tracts in the town centre, doesn't it encourage you? Praise the Lord for you, brother. Praise the Lord for you, sister, doing what you're doing. Or perhaps when uh, you, you uh, see somebody sharing their faith with another and you say, I know what that person's doing there. Tell them about the Lord Jesus. And you quietly sit at your coffee table in the coffee shop and you pray for that person who's sharing their faith or whatever. You know, we encourage each other in evangelism by doing evangelism ourselves. Charles Spurgeon said, it has been my one and only business to set forth the love of God to men in Christ Jesus. He was a man who was thoroughly committed to evangelism. A.B. Simpson, the great missionary, he was in the habit of hugging a globe and praying over it. He was praying for the lost people of the world. And he himself was involved in outreach. You see, the Christian life is a personal faith, but it's not a private faith. And we ourselves are to share 
the Lord Jesus with others. Sadly, many people today don't really even know how to do that. They don't know how to be a witness, never mind an evangelist. You say, well, what's a witness? A witness is somebody who just tells what they've witnessed. You know, if you have an accident out in the road outside and, uh, and somebody sees it happen, you go into court. You haven't got to go and explain how the motor car works. You haven't got to go and explain all the details about the highway code and everything. You know what the policeman will say to you? Or the judge will say to you, just the facts, ma'am. Just tell us what you saw. And that's what a witness is. Well, what, does, what has Jesus done for you? An evangelist may go beyond that with apologetics and arguments and so on. But we're all called to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. Do you know what the gospel is? Clearly. I remember when I was at Cornhill, we did a mission, a week's mission with a church in Harrow. And uh, I was talking to the pastor there who had taken on one of the students of Cornhill. He said how passionately he believed in the Cornhill training course. He said, because when we were looking for a youth worker, we interviewed six young people. And they were all full of great charisma and gifts with young people and everything like this. He said, but the, the thing that, where they all fell down was this. We asked them, can you tell us the gospel? And five out of six of them couldn't clearly articulate what the gospel was so that young people could be saved. And that's, that's a real problem, isn't it? We have people who, you know, if you say, tell them the gospel, they say, well, God's got a wonderful plan for your life and he really wants to bless you and all that. Well, that may be true, but that's not the gospel. The gospel in, is 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he rose again according to the scriptures. It's Christ's death and resurrection and how we need to put our trust in him to be saved. That's what we need to tell people about the saving work of the Lord Jesus. If you're having any difficulty in that, let me recommend you get hold of a good gospel book, perhaps a book by Roger Carswell or um, uh, other uh, evangelistic books. Some of Ray Comfort's material is very good indeed. And that will help you learn how to share the faith effectively and clearly. But you know, when you do evangelism, and when we do evangelism, we encourage the church also to keep going. And it is a blessing to others. And then finally, we see Barnabas was an encouragement in his defending. And this is the last passage we're going to look at in chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. Because chapter 15 is the last chapter that Barnabas features in. Chapter 15, verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea, this is still in Antioch, and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now here we have Barnabas encouraging the church by defending the faith. You see, one of the things that's important to understand, if a person's an encourager, that doesn't mean they're spineless. It doesn't mean they've got the backbone of a jelly. And when it comes to opposition, they don't, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. A person who's a real encourager to the church will defend the truth. They will get their teeth out. 
they will stand for the truth of the gospel and vigorously, robustly defend it, which is what we see happening here with Barnabas and Paul and the false teachers in the church Antioch. Some had arisen with a a, a false gospel, what we call Judaism, and uh, it's the Judaizers, I should say, not Judaism, Uh, it's the Judaizers. And what they said was, you've got to become a Jew before you become a Christian. You've got to be circumcised like a Jew before you become a Christian. And what they were saying is, it's not just Jesus who saves you, but it's your keeping the law. Now, I'm sorry to say that is coming back into Christian circles again. And there's a, there's a movement to bring that back in. We've got to be on guard against that. But Paul and Barnabas were having none of it. They said, no, we're saved by faith. In Christ alone. Somebody has said there's two great heresies. It's either Jesus plus or Jesus minus. You have people who go Jesus minus, like the liberals, and they've been through heaven and told us there's no gold there. They've been through hell and told us there's no fire there. They've been through the Bible and told us there's no inspiration there. They've been through Christ and they've told us there's no deity there, says Dennis Lyle. (laughs) That's Jesus minus. But you have others who go Jesus plus. And they said, yeah, Jesus will save you and your good works as well. You see, it's like Jesus does his bit and you do yours. That's Roman Catholicism. That's the Mormons. That's the Jehovah's Witnesses and all other false gospels as well. Well, Paul and Barnabas knew the gospel was too important and they were willing to fight for it. I read a a remarkable story about uh, an 80-year-old man by the name of Mikko Vukovic who was in hospital in Croatia recovering from heart surgery. Now, anybody who's got relatives who've suffered from heart surgery, you know how weak and frail they can be. But suddenly, this old man in the ICU jumped out of bed and grabbed his stick and started whacking something on the floor. And do you know what? He had spotted a viper that had managed to slither its way into the hospital and into the ward. And even though he was in such a a poor state of health himself, he wasn't sitting back and waiting for somebody else to get stung, or himself to get stung. He was going to put that thing to death straight away. I thought, what an example for us about how we should stand firm against the false teachers of the gospel, like Barnabas did. Let's stand up and stand out and hold on to the truth and preserve it for the next generation and for those around us to hear today. So what an encouragement Barnabas is in these six ways. I hope and pray that you and I will make it our prayer tonight after hearing about this man of God and say, Lord, please make me also a son or daughter of encouragement for the church in these ways, that the church may be blessed in our own generation. May it please the Lord to do so.